church on Wednesday night. I am glad that you are here. Many of you have been here every service, and I know that you have to do that on purpose. That doesn't happen accidentally. People don't just accidentally show up in church on Monday night and Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Uh, They have to do that on purpose. And I believe God is honored when we do that. When we rearrange our normal schedule and set aside the things we would normally do just to honor him. Take your Bible tonight, if you would, and turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 27. When you find that, would you stand with me as we read the word of God? Thank you for allowing me to come this week. Uh, I apologize again for my family not being here. Liz said this afternoon when I talked to her, she said, make sure they know that I really would have liked to have been there. And uh, I know she would have, and she missed not being here. Uh, So we'll just have to come back again some other time. We'll just have to do that. Psalm 27, beginning in verse number 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that we have. And, and Lord, we've, we've set aside this time tonight to be here in your house and to open your word and allow your spirit to speak to our hearts. And God, that's what we need. It's what we desire. And yet we know that you desire to work in our hearts far more than we even want you to. Lord, we just pray that you would have free reign in this place tonight to do whatever you need to do. We'll thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Psalm 27 is one of those psalms that you probably know more of than you realize. There are bits and pieces of it that are probably very familiar to you if you don't know the psalm itself. It starts off with that verse, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? A a famous verse, a, a verse that's been used on signs and banners and songs and everything else, and a wonderful declaration of the power of Almighty God. Then you get down to verse 4 and you see a little bit of David's heart coming out in the psalm where he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Again, you know David's heart because he said before, I'd I'd rather just be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. In other words, I just want to be in there as close as, to where God is as I can be. And you see that again in David's heart and his life. And then you get down a little further and you get to verse 9 and the tone of the whole thing changes. In verse number 9 he says this, Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. And it's almost as if David is saying, okay, God, I know who you are and I love you and I want to be close to you and and all the rest. Now, where are you? What are you doing? Uh, Don't don't just leave me. 
I'm not sure where you're at. I'm not sure what you're doing. And God, I don't want you to just leave me here all by myself. I don't want you to forsake me. And you get down to verse 11 and it explains it a little bit. It says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. You see, there are people who've risen up against David and he's facing opposition and he's facing hardship. And, and because of that, he's not sure what to do next. He says, God, I need a plain path. Make it clear to me what I'm supposed to do and the course of action I'm supposed to take. And I'm not sure exactly what you're doing in all of this. And then you get to verse 13 and you have an admission. He says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, I was about this close to giving up. I, I had fainted unless... I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And in other, in other words, the reason I didn't faint, the reason I didn't give up and throw up my hands in despair and quit is because I knew God was not done yet. It wasn't over yet. And I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I was just waiting to see God work. And then verse 14 is the key to the whole thing. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. If you want to get to the place where you don't faint in the face of opposition and adversity and sorrow and all the rest, then you're going to have to learn verse 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now that's something that we don't do very well. We don't like waiting for anything. We don't. We want everything that we want when we want it immediately. We don't want to have to wait. We live in an instant society. It used to be you had to wait for things. Really, honestly, if you think back to when you were a kid, if you're old like I am, you think back to when you were a kid, we had to order Christmas presents out of the catalog in August and September to get them in Alaska by December. And sometimes they'd send the wrong thing. And if that happened, you're just out of luck because you can't send it back and forth fast enough. That's just the way it was. And you had to wait weeks and weeks and weeks for things. Uh, we, I remember when we got our first microwave. See, now microwaves are just everywhere. Everybody's got them because it's too much of a burden for us to wait 10 minutes for the water to boil. We want it in a minute and a half. And if it won't do it in a minute and a half, we need a new microwave because that one's not strong enough. I remember when we got our first one, it was big as a doghouse. And one of my brothers gave it to mom and dad for Christmas and it was sitting on the kitchen table and we just played with it for weeks on end. Just like you did probably. We tried everything. We, we heated up a little of this and a little of that and we tried to boil water and we put marshmallows in there. We put the cat in there. We just did all kinds of things. No, we, I just check and see if you're paying attention. Don't do that. Don't try that at home. But, but now we, we're so used to it, we just want it fast. We would never think, you mean I have to heat up the oven to get that warm? What a waste of my important time. But I can just pop it in that microwave and push the button. Yeah, it's going to come out like shoe leather, but it's hot. And that's all I care about. It's all I care about. I want it hot. And so that's what we do. We, we will spend hours finding the best price for something online and then pay twice the amount to get it there the next day. Don't, don't look so innocent. You've done that. You found a great deal and you saved $10 by buying it online. You paid $15 for shipping. 
You could have walked down to the store and got it. But no, no. <laughs> we do that because we want it now. Well, it's only, it's only $5 more to get it the next day. That's all. Just five more. <laughs> they get you that way, don't they? Because they know we don't want to wait. We don't want to wait for anything. And that's how our whole life is. It's all instant. It's all fast. It happens immediately. And then we get to God. And God just doesn't work that way. He just doesn't. If you've been saved for more than a week or so, you've probably figured out that God seems to have his very own timeline that he works on. And sometimes it corresponds with ours, and quite often it doesn't. And there are times when it's going in such a different direction than ours, we say just like David, Lord, don't, don't forsake me. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing this? Why, why haven't you fixed it yet? Why haven't you changed it yet? And then we say silly things like, when I get to heaven, I am going to ask God. Why? I don't think you will. I think you'll be so surprised you got there. <laughs> and so will your family. <laughs> it's a different story. though. You're not going to run up and ask any silly questions in case they realize you're not supposed to be there and throw you out. You're not going to do that. No. Listen, I, I understand. I know I'm going to heaven. I know that for sure. Not a doubt in my mind. But I can't help but think, when we stand there face to face with God, when we see our Savior and we see the, the nail prints in his hands and we see pure holiness and we realize at that moment, like we never could really understand here how much we don't deserve to be there. We're just going to fall on our faces in awe. We're not going to go ask silly questions. Then maybe after a million years, we'll say, you know, I was going to ask God oh, why he waited on that, why I had to. And then we'll say by that time, no, that was a silly question. I'm not going to ask that. You see, God's not obligated to tell you why now, and he's not obligated to tell you why later. But there are some instances in the Bible where God tells us why somebody had to wait. And there's a correlation there many times between those circumstances and the circumstances in our own lives. And I want to look at just a few of those tonight. And I hope it will be a help to you and an encouragement to you. Turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter number 1. Exodus chapter number 1. In Exodus chapter 1, the Israelites are in a mess. They're in slavery in Egypt. They're being abused. They're being violated. They're being mistreated. And it's just going from bad to worse. Look at verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra and the name of the other Puah. And he said... When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Can you imagine? I mean, it's bad enough to be slaves. It's bad enough to be mistreated and abused and all the rest. But then the edict comes down. Uh, when, when you have a baby, if it's a little boy, it's to be slaughtered immediately. Can you imagine some of those 
some of those women carrying those babies and, and afraid the entire time, praying the whole time, God, please don't let it be a boy. I don't want to see it murdered right in front of me. God, please intervene. What a horrible, horrible way to live. And they cried out to God. Then look at Exodus chapter 3. Verse 7. Here God is speaking to Moses and it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. God said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to deliver my people and you're the instrument that I'm going to use. Can you imagine being around in that generation of slaves in Israel when Moses shows up and said, God spoke to me, and he's about to deliver you, and you're coming out of here, I'll bet you they were excited. They were thrilled to death. And then they saw the plagues that hit Egypt, and, and they saw how they were spared from those things. And, and then they saw the Egyptians giving them everything, clothing and, and money and everything. As they, as they went out, they saw the Red Sea part, and they crossed on dry ground. What a wonderful time to be alive. But here's the question. Why'd they have to wait 400 years for that to happen? Say, well, it just got really bad. Oh, it got really bad. But that generation was not the first generation to cry out for deliverance. There was a generation before them, and a generation before them, and a generation before them. And they all had it bad, and they were all abused, and they cried out to God. And for hundreds of years, God said nothing. There was nothing. Until that day, all of a sudden, Moses showed up. And you say, why did they have to wait so long? Why would God do that to his people? And there is an answer to the question. Look at Genesis chapter 15, if you would. Genesis chapter 15. Verse 13. Now, God is talking to Abraham in this passage. He's still referred to as Abram here. His name hasn't been officially changed to Abraham, but it's the same man. Verse 13, Genesis 15. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, isn't that interesting? So God told Abraham, he said, your, your descendants are going to be in bondage for 400 years, and okay, and then you get down here to verse number 16, and he tells him why. Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. You read that, you probably think what I think. Who cares about Amorites? <laughs> really, who cares about Amorites? They're just one of those Ite people that lived over there in, in Canaan, and, and they're going to be wiped out when Israel shows up, and, and God wants them all wiped out. Why in the world are we worried about Amorites back here in Genesis 15? I'll tell you why. Because God wasn't done with the Amorites yet. And his own people couldn't move into the land he'd promised them because there were some people living there that God was not finished with. 
We sometimes think the only people that God was interested in in the Old Testament were the Israelites, the Jewish people. But if you stop and think about that, you'll realize that can't possibly be the case because, quite honestly, Abraham wasn't Jewish. <laughs> he, was a, he was a Chaldean from Ur who loved God with all his heart. And because he loved God with all his heart, God made him a promise and said, I'm going to do something wonderful with your descendants. But Abraham wasn't Jewish. Remember a guy by the name of Noah that God used? He wasn't an Israelite. He was just a guy who loved God. It's interesting. Remember Enoch who walked with God and was not because God took him. He got his own personal rapture. He wasn't Jewish either. He was just a guy who loved God. And there were a lot of them. Abraham wasn't the only guy in Ur that knew God. He wasn't. There were others. And they were scattered all over people who knew God and loved God. And when you get to heaven, you know what you're going to find out? There's some people called Amorites who knew God. And they hadn't completely rejected God yet. And God said to Abraham, in about 400 years, they will have completely denied me. And then it'll be time for your descendants to have that land. Until that time, they're going to have to wait. You see, sometimes you have to wait on the Lord because he's working in somebody else's life. We're just terribly self-centered sometimes. We think God should listen to me and answer my prayer and take care of me. And we forget that we're just one out of an awful lot. And God is also working in other people's lives. And sometimes he can't do for us what he is going to do for us until he's done doing something for this person over here. And in the meantime, you know what he wants us to do? Wait. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Sometimes you have to wait because God is working in somebody else's life. Now look, if you would, over at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter number 1. Verse 2, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you unto you as I said unto Moses. Here are the Israelites. They're ready to go into the promised land. They don't even know what they're going to see yet. They have no idea. In very short order, they're going to see the Jordan River part and they're going across on dry ground. They're going to see the walls of Jericho fall down flat. They're going to see the sun stand still. They're going to see all kinds of amazing things. They don't have a clue what is waiting for them. This is an exciting time to be around. But you know as well as I do, this is the second time they've been in this spot. You see, the first time they came up out of Egypt and they got there. And God said, you have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And they had to wait 40 years. Not because God wasn't done with the Amorites. Oh, no, no, no. It was a whole different reason. In Numbers chapter 13, we won't go there for the sake of time, but you can look it up later. We find out why they didn't go in. It was their own unbelief. Because when God said, I want you to go in, listen, the revealed will of God was for them to come out of Egypt and go into the promised land. It was black and white. It was revealed. It was obvious. And they refused to go in. 
And because they refused to go in, in chapter 14 in the book of Numbers, God said, now you can't go in, and you're going to wander in the wilderness a year for every day the spies were in the land, 40 years until your generation dies off. And when you're all dead, then your children can come in. You see, it had nothing to do with the Amorites. It was time for the Amorites to be gone. But they had to wait 40 years to get what God already had prepared for them simply because they wouldn't obey when it was time. They wouldn't step out by faith and do what God had already told them to do. We sometimes labor under the assumption that if I don't obey God today, I can change my mind and obey God tomorrow. Sometimes you can do that. Sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes the window of opportunity goes by and circumstances change and you may not get the opportunity to change your mind tomorrow. And it could be a long, long time before that opportunity comes back around and it may not come back around. That's why it's so important when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to your heart, you obey. You just do whatever it is God wants you to do. Do it then. Don't say, well, I'm going to wait about it. I'm going to give it some time. I, I, might, I might do it next year. I don't really want to do it this year. Maybe next year. Maybe next year you won't have the opportunity. You see, it was their own unbelief that made them wait. Sometimes you have to wait on the Lord because he's working in somebody else's life. Sometimes you have to wait on the Lord because of your own unbelief. Now turn in your Bible, if you would, over to the book of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. Verse number 43. You know the passage. It's the resurrection of Lazarus. It's one of my favorite, favorite passages in the Gospels. Because it's such a big event in the ministry of our Savior. Well, look at... Uh, Look at verse number uh, 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. I would love to have been there on that day. Can you imagine? Here they are at the funeral, and the mourning is going on, and it's been that way for four days, and Lazarus is tucked away in the tomb, and Jesus shows up, and he's late. He was supposed to come when Lazarus was sick, and now there he is, and Lazarus is already dead. And they get there, and Jesus says, roll away the stone. And they tried to discourage him. They said, that's not really a good idea. He has been in there four days, and, and already he's stinking, and I'm sure he did. And they said, you, you really don't, you don't want to do that. And Jesus said, no, roll away the stone. And so they rolled away the stone. You could probably hear a pin drop in that place because everybody's wondering what in the world is he going to do does he just want to go in there and see the body of his friend one more time what is he up to and then Jesus said Lazarus come forth and I've always had in my mind that Lazarus just came striding out of the tomb but he didn't he didn't 
The Bible says he came out bound, hand and foot with a napkin over his face. You don't stride out bound head to toe like a mummy. It couldn't have happened that way. I've asked some great theologians about this, and they're not sure about this. But there seem to be only two good options. After he said, Lazarus, come forth, the people standing by probably heard a noise. A noise like somebody falling out of bed. Ooh. And that probably got their attention. Now, you don't really want to hear that when you're at the tomb. No matter, no matter how much you loved him, you really don't want to hear that when he's been dead four days. Because at best case scenario, somebody messed up big time. Listen, when you, when you come to the funeral and the body's laid out there, that's not the time you want to hear on the inside of the casket. You don't want to hear that. That's just, that's odd. And so now they're really watching. And, and as he comes out, he may have done it like this. That's how you come out when you're bound up. Or, or maybe he just rolled out. Maybe he rolled out and then they grabbed it, unwound him. I don't, I don't know. But it had to be one of those two options, really. And he came out and they got him all taken care of. What an exciting moment. A man that's been dead four days is standing there alive and well. And they get to talk to him and they get to touch him and they get to see him. And it had an impact on people. The question is, why... Did they have to wait until Lazarus was dead before Jesus showed up and fixed everything? Why didn't he just come when Lazarus was sick? Well, the answer is right here in Scripture. Look, if you would, in chapter 11, verse 4. When Jesus heard that, that's that Lazarus was sick at the first. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Isn't that something? He said, it's not really about Lazarus being sick. It's not even about Lazarus, being about Lazarus being dead. It's about the Son of God being glorified. And I have something better planned than what you're asking for. You want me to come heal him? Well, Jesus healed people all the time. That was common, everyday stuff. Jesus just healed people left and right. But resurrection was not common, everyday stuff. Oh, it happened a few times, but very few times. And they just wanted healing. And instead, after they waited for Lazarus to get sicker and sicker and die, then they got something far greater than healing. They got resurrection. Sometimes you have to wait on the Lord because he's working in somebody else's life. Sometimes you have to wait on the Lord because of your own unbelief. And sometimes you have to wait on the Lord because he has something better planned for you than what you're even asking for if you'll just trust him and just wait. Young people, sooner or later, you're gonna get the idea that you wanna marry somebody and all that. Oh, it'll happen sooner or later. You young ladies, once you hit you know, 18, 19, you realize you're about to be an old maid. You'll, I'm just teasing with you. But that's what they think, that's what they think. And it'll kick in and they'll, and they'll think, I, I, I need to find somebody. Can I just tell you the secret? You can find somebody. You can find somebody tonight. Really, honestly. You can find somebody tonight that would marry you and you will regret it for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to dig deep enough in the barrel, you can find somebody. 
But can I give you a little word of wisdom? You might want to write this down. Put it on tweet face or whatever. I know, I know. I just don't want to say the abominable thing out loud, that's all. It's better to want something you don't have than to have something you don't want. <laughs> I don't want to hear any amens from any of you ladies. Or, you know, save that for later, amen. It's better to want something you don't have than have something you don't want. And if you'll trust God, he'll have what's best for you. He will. You just wait on the Lord. Just wait on the Lord. Because if you don't, you can sometimes get yourself in a mess. And here Jesus had something better for them than they ever imagined. And they got to see resurrection. And they got to see people's lives transformed because they had to wait for him to show up. Turn, if you would, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. This is another one of my favorite passages in the Gospels. And it's sad that we, uh, we don't read this passage very often. Usually once a year around Christmas because we feel like we're supposed to at Christmas. And because we feel like we're supposed to at Christmas, we almost feel awkward talking about it any other time. Like it's not Christmas, so we shouldn't be in Luke chapter 2. And, and it's not Easter Sunday yet, so we shouldn't talk about the resurrection. And can I just tell you, we ought to talk about those two things all the time. All the time. Listen, without the virgin birth, we don't have a Savior. Without the resurrection, we don't have eternal life. We've got to have those two things. And we ought not take for granted anymore that everybody just knows those things. Because they don't anymore. There are lots of folks out there tonight who don't have a clue about those things. And those are pivotal foundational truths that our salvation depends upon. Look at Luke chapter 2 verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now, would that not have been a wonderful night to be a little fly on the wall? I mean to see God come into the world like that. What an amazing moment. Probably the most amazing moment in history right there. 
where God takes on flesh and comes into this wicked, sin-cursed world. And there he is. And we have in our mind all the pictures of how it happened. And most of our pictures of how it happened are a little warped. Mostly because of our manger scenes and our Christmas programs. You know, we, we set up our, our little manger scenes and, and beautiful little, little wood stables. And, and, and there's, there's a donkey there, a nice donkey. There's cows, the kind with the big eyes, you know, the friendly kind of cows. And there's camels, not the spitting kind, the nice kind are there. And there's shepherds, very dignified shepherds with their staff, you know, and, and their white beards and their best bathrobes. There they are. And, and there's, there's sheep, beautiful, fluffy, white, peaceful sheep. Can, I don't want to burst your bubble, but sheep really aren't like that. <laughs> the only time a sheep is white and fluffy is when he's on his way to the fair, and that usually ends badly for him. The rest of the time, they're all nasty and matted and stinky, and there's so much stuff stuck in their hair, you don't really know what color they are. Those are real sheep. And camels all spit. And donkeys are unpleasant. And cows smell bad. And there are the shepherds. And we are so generous at Christmas time, we will even let the wise men come. Hey, they brought presents, we let them in. Amen? I, 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 I hate to burst your bubble again. <laughs> they, they weren't there. They were late to the party. They were. But we let them come. They can come. And then we have Joseph standing there, very dignified, and we have Mary there, and sometimes we throw a little halo over her head, not really sure why we do that, and, and then she's like that over the thing. And there's all this beautiful hay, and, and there's this beautiful baby in the middle of the hay, and it all looks so nice. And by the time it's all done, the ladies are thinking, what a great place to have a baby. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a great place to have a baby. It was an awful place to have a baby. Because the, the animals all stunk and smelled bad and, and, and it, it wasn't clean and it wasn't nice and there were no pretty lights shining on it and, and Mary wasn't sitting there like that and, and Joseph wasn't dignified. They'd been, they'd been traveling for days. And here she is great with child. Now, we always have in our mind that Mary's on the donkey. Joseph's leading the donkey. The Bible doesn't say that. So we don't really know if she was on the donkey or not. But just imagine, you're great with child and you're riding a donkey all day. That doesn't sound very good, does it? And if there is no donkey, she's walking all day. I'm not sure which is the worst option. By the time they get there, you know, they're both miserable. They are miserable. And they're just looking for a place to spend the night. And there's no place. It's all full. And all there is, is a stable. Most likely a, a cave-type thing, just kind of hollowed out of the, uh, out of the, uh, the rock, and uh, just a place with a little shelter, and, and there's nothing else. It's either that or the street, and they can't go any further. So they take it. And there they are. And I just imagine them sitting down on some, on some straw or some hay and just catching their breath and just thankful they can finally sit down and they're not walking anymore and they're not moving anymore. And everything's wonderful and fine until Mary says, Joseph, something's wrong. 
And he says, well, what, Mary? <laughs> and she says, I think the baby's coming. Oh, well, Joseph has never, Joseph is not a midwife. Joseph is a carpenter. This is what we call the good old days. Joseph had no intention of being anywhere around when this baby was born. He wasn't supposed to be anywhere nearby. There were supposed to be midwives there who knew what to do. And Mary's never had a baby. She's not sure what to do. He doesn't have a clue what to do. He's scared to death. She's scared to death. She said, Joseph, the baby is coming. What are we supposed to do? He said, I don't know what we're supposed to do. I have no idea. And she probably. Now, remember, this is not mythology and fairy tales. These are real people. Real people. Just put yourself in the situation. And so Mary probably gave Joseph some instructions, some helpful things that he would need to do. <laughs> she probably was trying to be a blessing. So she probably said, get the animals away. So, oh, Mary never would have spoken like that. She would have said, oh, Joseph, please remove the animals. No, real people don't do that. <laughs> no, ladies, put yourself there. She's being helpful. Get the animals away. And he, he's getting animals away. He's, he's pushing animals. He's pushing animals to the best of his ability. He is pushing animals. And he's hearing awful things happen behind him. There, there's noises back there. And there's, it's awful. It's terrible. It's horrible. And finally, finally, she says, Joseph, the baby is here. And he looks back there and there's this nasty, dirty mess. It wasn't clean. It wasn't nice. And he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know what to do with this baby. She doesn't know what to do with this baby. They don't even have anywhere to put him. They don't have a nice little onesie to stick him in. <laughs> nope. They don't even have anything to clean him up with. And so they find some rags. And they get him all wrapped up in the rags. And they put him in the feed trough. Because it's either that or the floor. And there he is, and they're just sitting there, exhausted, glad that they're all alive. Listen, it was very common for women to die in childbirth, and especially in those filthy conditions. It would be shocking that, that they both survived that. And yet the baby's alive, and Mary's alive, and Joseph is alive. <laughs> and they're just sitting there, wiping sweat. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't lovely. But that's how God showed up in the world. Now stop and think about that. Why would God do that? So, well, that obviously it was an accident. He wasn't supposed to be born until they got where they were going. Listen, if you had asked Mary and Joseph, they probably would have said, it wasn't supposed to happen tonight. But don't tell me that God didn't already have that planned. God knew exactly where this was going to happen. And he did it on purpose. I promise you he did it on purpose. Why would he do that? I can only think of one reason. So that we would know you don't have to go someplace special to find Jesus. Yeah. You don't have to go someplace fancy. You don't, go have some, you don't have to make some pilgrimage somewhere to find Jesus. You can find him in the most common, ordinary place. Yeah, if we had testimonies tonight, we'd find out some of you found Jesus in some strange places. Some of you on a street somewhere, some of you at your kitchen table, some, some at a church or a Sunday school class, or somebody just showed up at your door one day, and you can find Jesus anywhere. Yeah. Amen. And did you see who got invited to the process? Shepherds. We would not have invited shepherds. 
We think shepherds and we think Christmas programs. You know, they're so cute. And we put the kids in the robes and out they come and we put little fake beards on them and, uh, and we love it. You know, it's wonderful. But shepherd was not something that children wanted to grow up to be. They think, well, David was a shepherd. Everybody wants to be a shepherd. No, no, they don't. Shepherd's the bottom rung of society. Shepherd is the dirty work that has to be done for your family to survive. You don't, you don't attain to shepherdhood. That's the dirty job that has to be done. It quite often fell to the youngest in the family or to some social outcast. Remember where David was when Samuel showed up to anoint a new king amongst Jesse's sons? All the other boys are lined up. They said, well, is there another one? They said, well, there's, there's one. It's the little one. But somebody's got to be with the sheep. It wasn't that David wanted to be out with the sheep instead of there for the coronation. No, uh, somebody had to be there. And that's how it was for shepherds. Some, somebody had to do it. And you would stay with the sheep and you would spend the night on the hillside. And after a while, you start to look like a sheep and start to smell like a sheep. It's not pleasant. And God invited those people. To, he didn't invite the king. He didn't invite the Pharisees. He didn't invite the religious leaders. He invited shepherds. Can you imagine those guys sitting there on the hillside that night? Probably young men. Just sitting there, they've got the sheep put away, and they're just passing time like they do every single night of their lives. And all of a sudden, the sky lights up and there's a massive angel there. And they're just staring up at it, scared to death. And the angel says, the Savior was just born, and he's right down there, and you should go. And then the rest of the sky lights up, and there are thousands and thousands of angels everywhere saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it's getting louder and louder, and it's scary. And then, boom, everything goes black, and all the angels are gone. Now, when that happens, you don't just turn to your friend and say, hey, did you see those angels? You don't do that just in case he didn't. In, instead, probably one, one looked over at the other one and he said, did you see anything? The other one probably said, well, maybe. Did you see anything? He said, well, um, I might have seen a light. Did you see a light? Uh, yeah, I think I did see a light. Did, did your light have an angel in it? Yeah, my light had in it. Did you see that great big angel? Oh, yeah, did you see all those others? Oh, did you hear what they said? The Savior's down there. And they took off and they ran down there. And there's Mary and Joseph sitting there. Just glad everybody's alive. Catching their breath. Glad things have calmed down. And then they hear people running through the streets. And they're getting closer and they're getting closer. All of a sudden, boom, the doors burst open. And there's a bunch of sweaty, stinky shepherds sticking their heads in there. And we have in our mind that Mary said, Behold the Son of God. <laughs> she didn't do that. I promise you she didn't do that. No, that's not, that's not what mothers do with their first baby out in the stable. That's not what they do. She probably grabbed that baby and said, Joseph, get those people out of here. And they said, well, the angel just told us that he's the son of God. We just want to see him. And she probably leaned around a little bit and pulled back the rag and said, well, there he is. Now go away. That's what real people do. <laughs> that, that was enough. They took off and they told everybody what they'd seen. Why would God invite shepherds? Why not somebody important? 
I mean, important people should know this stuff. Why would he invite unimportant people? I think because he wanted us to know that you don't have to be somebody special to find Jesus. You don't have to go somewhere special, and you don't have to be somebody special. All you have to be is a plain old ordinary sinner. And by the way, if the king gets invited, shepherds are not welcome to show up where the king gets invited. But if the shepherds get invited, the king can come. If he's willing to humble himself, he can come. And so God invited shepherds and said, anybody who's willing to humble themselves can come. Anybody. Aren't you glad? And God showed up in the world and everything changed. Everything changed. The question is, why didn't he come sooner? Why didn't he come sooner? You say, well, Israel was in a mess and they were under Roman occupation and it was hard. Yes, yes. But if you look back over the history of Israel, this is not the hardest point in their history. Honestly, they don't have it too bad under Rome. They even have some, some measure of self-determination. It's not that bad compared to a lot of their history. So why would God send his son into the world now instead of 10 years sooner or 50 years sooner or 100 years sooner? Just think of all those people that came and went in that time. Why didn't God do something? Well, for about 400 years previous to this, there was nothing. We call it the silent years. There were no prophets. There was no, there was no revelation. There was nothing. And to be quite honest, the Jewish religion had, come, had become little more than a bunch of rules. It had no life left in it. It was just religion when it was dead. It was as dead as it could be. And those who were still looking for a Messiah had lots of reasons, but very few had good reasons. And it had become just a story. And a lot of them didn't even think it was going to happen. And they were just living their lives, surviving another day of Roman occupation. Just like those shepherds sitting there on the hillside, just doing what you have to do because somebody has to do it not expecting anything in the world to change. Just sitting there one more night, watching the time tick by. And then all of a sudden the sky lit up and everything changed. Why'd they have to wait so long? There's an answer. It's found in the book of Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter four, last place I'll have you turn. We'll be done. Galatians chapter four, verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The answer is verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Why didn't he come a hundred years sooner or two hundred years sooner? Or... Because it wasn't time yet. 
And when it was time, he showed up exactly where he needed to be, exactly when he needed to be there. You say, well, when is God going to show up and do what I'm asking him to do? I'll just be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. But I can tell you this. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. And it might be one of those ordinary days when you've pretty well kind of given up on anything happening at all. And it's just going to be this way forever and nothing's ever going to change. And, and you've just decided that's how it is. And you're just making it one, through one more drudgery of a day. It'll probably be on one of those days when the sky lights up and God shows up. And when he does, you'll know that it's God. <laughs> you'll know. And when he shows up, it'll be the right time. And it'll be the right place. And he'll do exactly what needs to be done. And in the meantime, he asks us to just wait. To just trust him. He's never, he's never failed anybody. And there's no reason to think that he would start with us. He's not going to start with us. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. I know there are things that we have very little control over. I've, you know, I've told you before. I've prayed for my three brothers for years. They're lost. I, I pray for them. I witness to them. I do everything that I can do to see that they'll get saved. I wish I could jump in and make it happen, but I can't. I'm just going to have to wait on the Lord and be of good courage. There are other things that I've prayed for for a long, long time. And I haven't seen an answer for them yet. And that must be because it's just not God's time yet. And so I'm just going to trust him. And when it is, oh, trust me, I've seen him show up. I've seen him show up just exactly when he needed to show up and do what I thought could never be done. And if I've seen him do that before, I'm not going to faint now because I believe to see the goodness of the Lord again in the land of the living. He is not done yet. I'm just going to trust him. I'm just going to wait. Sometimes you have to wait because he's working in somebody else's life. Sometimes you have to wait because of your own beliefs. Sometimes you have to own unbelief. Sometimes you have to wait because he has something better planned for you than what you're asking for. Sometimes you have to wait because it's just not his time yet. But it's worth the wait. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.